Welcome back for another edition of Four Sheets to the Win. As always, four guys in four time zones. A Salt of the Earth podcast by Salt of the Earth Men. I'm Aaron Drake. We got Connor Thomas out in Texas. We got Rick out in Colorado. And we got Alex actually back for the first time in a while out in Boston. Good to be back, guys. Thanks for having me. And joining us today for a special edition, we've got New York Times best-selling author Jeff Perlman. How are you doing, Jeff? I was actually just thinking, it is theoretically possible that you guys host like some white supremacist neo-Nazi <laughs> podcast, and I just have no idea. <laughs> and my career is coming to an end as we speak. You know, I feel like I need to let you guys know I'm, I'm Jewish, just so you know. Uh, that, that's a good heads up. <laughs> we'll curb the anti-Semitism on this show, but you know, you might not want to listen to the others. Yeah. So, Jeff, I got to tell you, what's it like being a New York Times bestseller? Because I probably told like fifty girls this weekend that I was interviewing a New York Times bestseller, so I could only imagine what it's like to actually be one. Well, I, I got to say, first of all. If that line works for you, it would be amazing because it's never gotten me laid. I mean, I'm married, so I don't have to worry about it anymore. But I'm just saying, like, it's not like, hey, check out my books. It's never really had much of an effect. So, uh, I don't know. It's cool. It was my uh, – Chicks and Writing is always my dream. I grew up wanting to be a writer, wanting to be a sports writer. So actually doing it and be able to make a career of it is uh, generally, truly, as cliche as it sounds, an actual dream come true for me. So – so where did you start off? And you've written for like Sports Illustrated, and now you contribute at Bleach Report and The Athletic, correct? Yeah. Um, I'm from a small town, Mayo Pack, New York. And uh, I went to University of Delaware. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of standard thing. Worked for the student newspaper, blah, blah, blah. I uh, got my first job at the Nashville Tennessean. I was a food and fashion writer. It's kind of weird. That was my first gig ever. And... Um, I just, you know, I moved to Sports Illustrated at a pretty young age and was covering Major League Baseball at SI. And that was really my big break for me as I was covering baseball at SI. And, and um, I don't know how old you guys are. How old are you guys? Uh, we're all 24. Oh, so. You're super young. I mean, I had, a, uh, I had a story come out in 1999. It was kind of a big one for me, which is there was a, there was a racist baseball player named John Rocker on the Atlanta Braves. Okay. And um, he said all these vile, racist kind of – nasty things for me in a story and it kind of blew up and that was sort of my introduction to the uh stage a little more and i don't know covered baseball started writing books and here i am talking to you fine folk so like what is it how do you start writing your book because isn't the this all right so for all the people listening at home jeff just uh is about to come out with a book that is out on tuesday about the usfl and it sounds like you were pretty grassroots with this book, correct? Like, how did you go about starting this whole operation? Like, can you take us through what it's like to have the idea for a book and then end up actually coming out with a book? Yeah, well, I mean, I, this is a book I wanted to write forever and ever. And um, way before you guys were born, there was a league called the USFL when I was a kid in the early 80s. It was like a rival to the NFL and 
had a lot of famous guys, Steve Young, Jim Kelly, Reggie White, all these guys started in there. Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker, Doug Flutie, Donald Trump <laughs> ruined it. You know, on and on and on. He actually Shocking. did. That's exaggeration. Yeah. And, um, and um, I just always loved this league. I was always infatuated by this league. And I couldn't – I was always told by my agent, you know, it's not a good book deal. It's not a good book. It's not going to get you a deal, blah, 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 blah. So I kind of went about my career. And then as I started having more success, I, was, I, just, I just really wanted to write this freaking book, you know. Yeah. And I had my last book was Brett Favre's biography. It was called Gunslinger. And when I got that deal, I attached the USFL book to it. I was like, I'll write this for less if you give me uh, – if you let me write the USFL book. So uh, Houghton oh, Mifflin wow. Publishing House, and they uh, they did it. So I made I made the lowest money I've ever made for a book. I did in a year because I wasn't making good monies, and I have mouths to feed. But mm-hmm. it's it's probably the most rewarding uh, book experience of my life. So fuck it. Nice, <laughs> Jeff. I was reading somewhere online because you know I noticed you were a uh, a newly or a member of the athletic, but I mm-hmm. saw you you got this idea back in high school, and. I was reading it said you wrote a 40 page paper when it was only supposed to be a 20 page paper on the USFL. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I mean, it seems like this is burning inside you for a while. (laughs) If you, you know, you were talking about bragging about having a uh, New York times bestseller. If you're 18 years old and you really want to get laid, all you got to tell the girls is I'm writing a 40 page paper (laughs) on the downfall of the USFL. (laughs) That went far in uh, (laughs) UD. Yeah. Oh my God! It's the ultimate aphrodisiac. You kidding me? Money. You should use that. Can use that now if you want. Just tell him. Tell oh him. man, yeah, I'm taking that. <laughs> my new Tinder um, bio. <laughs> awesome. So uh, I'm not even on Tinder. Maybe I should join Justin <laughs> that line. Yeah. Tell my wife. Exper- yeah. Experiment. Yeah. Right. So um, yeah, when I was a senior in high school, Mr. Height, AP English, 1990. Um, Shout out. Say that again. Shout out, Mr. Height. Oh, Mr. Height, shout out. I don't think I don't think he's listening. I mean, he might be, but it seems a lot. He uh, he's like 20, 20 page paper, final final thing, and it was daunting. And everyone's like, you know, Ronald Reagan's presidency or the history of Lake Mayo packing. I was like, I want to write about the USFL. I, I remember he was like, really, you know, do you really think that's a good topic? And I was like, I was just passionate and insane about it. So I. Uh, yeah, man, I wrote forty pages and I got a freaking B plus on it. <laughs> I'm sure. Wait, I just want to say, like, I teach adjunct at a couple of colleges every now and then. I can um, only imagine, like, I could see the student thinking, like, "Yeah, I nailed this one, forty pages." There's no teacher in America, Harvard, Delaware, DeVry, doesn't matter, who's like, "Wow, that's awesome, forty pages." I'm super psyched to read this, and nobody. Yeah, no one wants to read a forty-page research paper. <laughs> nobody, nobody. I don't care. If, I don't care. If, you know, whoever Stephen King is writing it. I don't want to read a forty-page research paper. So, you know. So, like, what specific about the league, like the USFL, that like really intrigued you? Like, what would you say, like, really hooked you in? You think? Yeah, I always hear that it's like a lot of insanity, sort of. Yeah. And I can never tell if it's just because it was a somewhat legitimate competitor to the NFL or if there was actually like crazy shit happening all the time. All right. I'm just going to, I love that. I have this format that I'm just going <laughs> to unload the crazy shit. Just some. All right. Perfect. Let it rip. Gunslinger. Let it rip. All right. There was a team called the San Antonio gunslingers. And one time they put a guy on the disabled list because he slams his <laughs> penis in the trunk. <laughs> oh my God. That's not an exaggeration. Put on the IR on the injured list. 
with a pulled groin, but it was not a pulled groin. He slammed his penis in a trunk, not a trunk of the car, which is what I thought. A training, a trunk where you kept things in the trainer's room. Um, you know, I'm a. So now I'm a, I don't even know. Like I'm maybe because I'm I'm Jewish and whatever. I can't even imagine that happening. Like I don't know. Um, so you know, that's one. Number two, there's a uh, there's a player. He played for the LA Express, which is a team named Greg Fields. And when when the head coach of the team cut him, he punched the guy in the face. And, <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, they had to pull him out of the room, and then he started calling in death threats to the team. So they hired. There used to be this musician Liberace, who was a famously flamboyant pianist. Right. They hired away Liberace's bodyguard to come to the work for the Express, and he ended up this. The defensive lineman would show up at games, like staring across the fence at the coach. Supposedly he kept a gun in his car. He was saying, "I'm going to kill you. I'm going to fuck you up." So they had the security guard, the the security guard who would follow him around. And only in the USFL, another team signed him. They needed defensive line help, even though they knew that he threatened to kill the coach. And the best thing is, he goes to another team, the Gunslingers, and they, um, the Gunslingers, stop paying their players. So one day, this guy Greg Fields follows the owner home to his mansion. And when the guy gets out of the car, he gets out of the car with a baseball bat. And he says, I see where you live. You better fucking pay me. And the owner's like, uh, I'll be right back. And he leaves and he comes back and he brings back a paper bag filled with $10,000 in cash. And he's like, are we good? And the guy's like, you'll never see me again. And that was great. We, my son and I drove to San Francisco from L.A. justifying Greg Fields. We knocked on doors justifying Greg Fields. All I had were two addresses, no phone numbers. And we ended up eating at the Cold Stone Creamery in a shopping mall in Sacramento with Greg Fields. Like just wow. by chance? No, we tracked him. I found his his sister lived in the projects in San Francisco. I knocked on her door. She was like, who are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm writing this book about the USFL and blah, blah, blah. She's like, I'll give you, I'll give my brothers your, your, your number. And he called me back 20 minutes later. And he's like, oh. yeah, I'm in Sacramento. And I'm like, holy shit, we're in San Francisco. I'm with my son. Can we come see you tomorrow? So it's me, my nine-year-old son, Emmett, and Greg Fields <laughs> in a shopping mall eating a cold stone. And I'm interviewing him, and he's spitting cherry ice cream all over me. And I'm the happiest guy in the world because I'm interviewing this guy who's like the great white shark of the USFL. So we got to ask, did you uh, get to interview Trump for the book, or did you get Bob? No, I, got, I never had a shot. I mean, you try, <laughs> but I knew I never had a shot. I knew I never yeah. had a shot. So, yeah, man. Yeah, I got a quick question, Jeff. So – I mean, just I, I played football in college, and you know I, I love the game growing up. Where'd you go? Uh, uh, Holy Cross. Oh, nice. Yeah, Gord, uh, Gordy Lockbaum. Do you know who yep, that is? Gordy Lockbaum. Oh yeah, yeah. Nice. two play two way player in uh, NCAA history. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, um. Anyway, so I wanted to know. I mean, I'm sure you have a better. That was such idea a nerdy moment. moment for both of us. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I I, I kind of geeked out right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so in terms of like, I, I know the NFL, uh, the USFL couldn't compete with the NFL in terms of, uh, you know, the type of talent they had, but what kind of talent did the USFL actually had, uh, have other than like Herschel Walker and, you know, players who couldn't, you know, latch onto a 53 man roster. Oh. All right. So it was a whole mishmash. It really was like they had Herschel, they had Steve Young, Jim Kelly, Reggie White, Doug Flutie. They had guys like Brian Seip, who was a 1980 NFL MVP quarterback. Doug Williams, who ended up quarterback in the Redskins at Super Bowl. Like, they had a ton of marquee talent. Mm -hmm. They were stealing a lot of top college players. And then, which was kind of cool, is they had a lot of 
Holy Cross type players. That's no insult to Holy Cross. What I mean is like, <laughs> no, 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 trust me, I understand. <laughs> like the offensive lineman who might have been 6'2", 285 nowadays, you know, like the, right. the wide receiver who ran like a 4'5", not a 4'3", you know, um, the quarterback with maybe a little hitch or maybe undersized or was a little like, so it was a league of a whole mishmash of players and a lot, you know, like, like Donald Trump, the last time he talked openly about the USFL, he called it small potatoes, very dismissively. Right, yep. in that ESPN. Yeah, and that just infuriated myself. But a lot of guys who saw it as their last hope, you know, like, it was like, it was just an opportunity to play pro football. And when he said, it was just small potatoes, I mean, guy, universally, guys were like, go fuck yourself, man. Because it was small potatoes to you because you didn't give a shit. But to me... The guy from Delaware, the guy from Holy Cross, the guy from Oklahoma A&I, the kid from the inner city who finally gets a chance to play pro football and live his dream, the kid who grew up in the sticks, who was told he was never going to be good enough, who got to play professional football. To those guys, the USFL was the greatest freaking moment in their life. I mean, I interviewed one guy who played for the, the Portland Breakers. He told me he has a team photo from 1985 hanging above his computer, and he looks at it intentionally every day of his life to remember what that tasted like. So when Donald Trump came along and said, they are small potatoes, whatever you think of Donald Trump, it was a ruthlessly dismissive look at what that league was to so many people. So, I mean, wow. Trump, like, he's probably pissed off about just the fact that he's universally blamed for the downfall of the league. And, like, do you find that to be true? Or was there actually some, like, financial dysfunction going on with teams like were teams losing money and were they falling apart outside of the whole Trump pushing to move them to fall or was it really just that Trump was rallying all the owners around moving to fall and that was just tearing the league apart yeah that's a great question actually um so the thing is this when you start a new sports league you're gonna lose money right it's a guarantee starting a team you have payroll you have expenses you have rent you have insurance it's a very expensive thing. And all these guys knew and were warned when they entered the league, you're going to lose money, expect to lose money. So they knew that. Um, what Donald Trump did was he really pushed the move to fall. He thought we need to take on the NFL. It was a spring football league. We need to take on the NFL directly. The only reason he did that is because he wanted a team in the NFL. And he thought if they moved to fall, either the NFL was going to want to merge or the USFL could sue the NFL for um, – for sort of via an antitrust violation when they monopolized uh, the TV, the TV market. This is pre-cable, so he had this whole plan. Someone's phone is ringing. You got that? Let me get it. No, I'm just kidding. Could be mine. Probably not. I don't know. So, One of uh, us have landlines, so <laughs> damn it, foiled again. Um, the youth. Yeah, damn it, the youth. I keep telling my wife, please get rid of the landline in our house. She's like, oh, you might need it. Oh, my God. It just went off. You hear that? I, feel like if you, I feel like if you already have it, it's hard to get rid of. I know, but it's so pathetic. And it's always the same thing. It's always like, are you interested in a magazine? No. Um, so basically, Trump, like, he wanted an NFL team. And he thought this was a way to get it moved to fall. He had a, even had a secret meeting. The NFL commissioner at the time was Pete Rozelle. Mm-hmm. During the USFL's 1984 season, Trump had a secret meeting with him, basically saying, I will do whatever it takes to get an NFL team. I don't give a shit about the USFL. I'll throw this thing to the wall because I don't care. And uh, Roselle was like, Roselle knew the con man. He smelled it. He That's what he viewed Trump as from the very beginning. And he said, um, 
there's no point in my life where you will have an NFL team. Like that was the ultimate smackdown to Donald Trump. You will never have an NFL team. And Trump wanted it because at the time and now, the NFL is a very exclusive club. Forget right. just how much mm-hmm. it costs. It's an exclusive club of American wealth, you know, and um, he wanted in. So when you see him now, it's actually funny. When you see him now talking about the kneeling football players and the disrespect to the flag, it's the biggest bullshit ever, ever. When it's he was, just, okay, it's just ridiculous. It's just, it's just a wedge issue for him. And I don't care if you think kneeling is disrespectful. That's a fair take to have. He doesn't think that. There's no way that you're talking about a guy who, when he was a USF owner, would regularly do business during the national anthem. You know, like that's just him. There's no patriotism here. It's a great wedge issue for him. And his anger, I think, is that he's been rejected by the NFL time after time after time. And it's one of those clubs that he thinks of himself as very exclusive, but it's a club he could not get in. So when Pete Rozelle told Donald Trump that he'll never make it in the NFL for as long as he lives, what is where on the timeline of Trump trying to force his way in through a merger is that? It's early, so it's uh, Trump is talking up the fall, but he hasn't yet taken that many actions. And after that happens, he sort of goes to town, and that's when he really starts pushing the U.S. of L to move to fall. It becomes his sort of aim and his focus. Um, so that was relatively early in the process. So, like. What eventually was the breaking point for moving them to the fall? Was Trump just so charismatic and just had so much more power over the owners that he was able to get that to happen? Or what? Because didn't a lot of these owners join the league realizing that we need to move slowly and stay in the spring? We're never going to be able to compete with the NFL. Like what? Like how did they get from A to B? That just seems surprising. That these guys who would have thought so long about planning out this league, just bail on it after a couple pretty successful seasons. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I think um, part of it, if you want to give Trump a compliment in this, I mean, the guy is persuasive as all hell. Um, Mm -hmm. These are wealthy, successful businessmen, real estate developers, uh, political power figures. Um, And really what happened is a lot of them panicked after the first year. They really panicked. They, um, They lost a lot of money. They were concerned about that. The TV ratings weren't quite where they wanted them to be. Some of the markets weren't as viable as they thought. Chicago was a bad market. L.A. was a bad market. Um, a couple of the owners, what happened really also happened is owners started spending a lot of money. Like Donald Trump spent a lot of money on players. I, I'm not a Donald Trump fan. I grew up in New Jersey. I loved his team. I loved him as an owner because he was bringing in marquee guys. You're a 12-year-old kid, and he's bringing in all these NFL guys, and he's trying to sign Lawrence Taylor, and he's trying to sign Don Shula as their coach. Like this is this is great, but for the league it was terrible because it really started. So you had all these guys starting to pay for big players and other franchises that this isn't. We're not doing this. What are you talking about? And it sort of for, formed a wedge that he really was able to take advantage of. And then he started really um, did a few things. Uh, you know, there, there was talk. He had a fake publicist. It was actually him using a fake voice <laughs> named John Barron, and he would call newspapers and be like. This is John Barron, and I represent Mr. Trump, and Mr. Trump is really thinking about. So you'd have someone giving information on background, and they would newspapers would quote it as a background source, and then Donald Trump would call, and he would say, yeah, blah, 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 blah. So you'd have John Barron saying the USFL is really interested in moving to fall. Then you'd have Donald Trump saying USFL is really interested in moving to fall. So newspapers thought they had a double sourcing on this information. 
Then the news would get back to the USFL commissioner, different owners. They'd be like, what? They literally would read the New York Times and say, what the hell is this? Isn't a, what, like, what is this? It was a brilliant, diabolically evil, yet brilliant sort of strategy to get what he wanted. And gradually, owners are like, well, maybe the fall is what we should do. And this is the money that we're, he's spending money, and this is kind of where we're going. And he says he can get us a TV deal, so maybe we should do it. And, uh, you know, that's how it worked. Jeff, is that kind of so? I think I read this online, but did the did the USFL have no like salary cap? But I just want to say one thing first. My son Emmett is uh, is eleven years old, and he's standing right here, and he is the biggest USFL fan of his age <laughs> of anyone you'll ever find. Can he Bring say hello? Yeah, of, of course. course. Go for it. Hi, my hey, name is Emmett. Hey, Emmett. Hey, what's up, Emmett? I'm doing fine. Who's your favorite USFL team, Emmett? I like the hey. Jacksonville Bulls. <laughs> yeah, we like. All right, hey man, I got a question for you. You think the uh, the USL the USFL USFL team who won the first title the the Michigan? <laughs> oh, off the top. Of- yep. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You think they beat an NFL team back in the day? Oh, good question. Could they be an NFL team? Beat or yeah. be? Beat. Did you say beat? Beat. Um, I feel like a not very good one. Yeah, that's actually like the Browns. The Browns. Yeah, like the Browns. They can beat the Browns. It's my team, but. Uh, yeah, they can beat the Browns. Yeah, nice right. job. yeah he's a smart kid. Uh, and he owns, he's the only kid in America who owns USFL jerseys, which is super. That might that's actually awesome. be true. Yeah, we don't like to bet. Anyway, what was your question? I apologize. Yeah, so I, I think I read somewhere that the USFL never implemented a salary cap, and you know that probably hindered most of the teams other than you know, the, the teams with owners with the most money, like the uh, New Jersey Generals. But is, you think that's part of the reason that maybe, uh, you know, teams were never able to stay on the same, yeah. like, you know, slow yeah. growth pattern. And, you know, maybe yeah. if they stay on that same growth pattern, you, they become more successful and then inevitably are able to spend more money in the end. But um, sorry, a little long winded there. But yeah. No, I know what you mean. It's the, um, it's you just said the Panthers. It's really funny. 1983, the first season, the Panthers are doing pretty crappy. They had two guys, two marquee, marquee players. They had Bobby Hebert was a quarterback, and they had a wide receiver named Anthony Carter who went on to play for the Vikings. But otherwise, they weren't that good. And their offensive line was atrocious. Midway through the year, the owner, this guy Al Taubman, signed for huge money three Pittsburgh Steelers offensive linemen who were free agents. And the team went on to win the uh, USFL championship, and that was the reason why in large part. Um, and inside the USFL offices, the people were pissed because it was like, not only are you spending too much money, but you're spending it on offensive linemen. If we're going to do this, you know, Herschel Walker, at least he was a feature back who, you know, with a lot of glitz and glamour. Right. Spend this money. And that was that was really a moment, a turning point for the USFL where it was like, well, if they're going to spend money on offensive linemen, we could at least spend money on this. And we should spend money on that. And it really became a free-for-all, you know, and, and Trump came in, a bunch of different owners came in, new teams the second year. They added six expansion teams. It just went off the went off the rails really quick financially. So, in right. terms of wealth for these owners, did they compare with the wealth of the NFL owners at the time? Did these guys have really deep pockets, or were some of these guys sort of on that fringe of they could actually afford a professional sports team, especially one that's not going to make money for the first few years? I, I would say there was a pretty wide variety of variants. Um, three or four guys had NFL wealth. Uh, a couple of the guys like Trump, 
were near NFL wealth, but not quite. Like Donald Trump at that point actually wasn't NFL wealth. Mm-hmm. And then you had guys who stopped paying the bills really quickly. I mean, the the owner of the Chicago Blitz, the second year, I think they played like four games. And one day he's walking off the field after a game with a player. And he goes to the player. They, they had a uh, lineman named Dan Jiggets, And he said to Dan Jiggets, the owner, his name was James Hoffman. He said, yeah, I'm out of here. And he's like, the player's like, you're taking off for the day? He's like, no, I'm out of this league. He's like, what? He's like, yeah, I'm just done. I'm done. And literally, he left. He just decided, I am not owning the Chicago Blitz anymore. And the league had to take over the ownership of the, of the team because he was just like, I'm done. He didn't have the money. So some of these guys, the background checks are really sad and pathetic. They look like they had a lot more, more money than they did or they would they post their their holdings but not their liquid uh, you know, possessions. So a lot of really bad owners also. So wow. how did the league start then? Like how was this assembled? Wasn't John Bassett is the Tampa mm-hmm. uh, owner? owner. Who, yeah. it, was this sort of his brainchild and how – is that correct? Because he was involved in no. the WFL? Yeah, there was a World Football League in the 70s, and a couple of these guys, two of these guys own teams in that. But um, mm-hmm. there was a guy named David Dixon. He was a New Orleans art dealer, had a lot of business holdings, and he really wanted a team in New Orleans before the Saints came along. And he was pushing for a new league, but then the Saints came, so he dropped the idea. But he never fully got out of his head. And he went to see – there's a guy named George Allen who's a legendary coach. He's dead now, but of the Redskins. And – um he was out of work and he went to see George Allen and kind of gave this idea of spring football with regional drafts. And George Allen was like, that's a freaking great idea. You need to do that. And um, so he kind of went for it and he started lining up investors and people were really into it. And uh, the big thing they did early on is they got TV deals. They got a deal with ABC. They got a deal with a young ESPN. Um, and that gave them very, very quick legitimacy. And before long, it was a quick, quick turnaround from 1982 when they held a press conference announcing the league to kicking off in the spring of 1983. It was super quick. Um, I'll tell you something cool. The first game ever was at RFK in Washington. It was a Chicago Blitz against the Washington Federals. Chicago Blitz were coached by this guy, George Allen, who was a uh, notorious cheater and kind of a rule slipper. And uh, he sent two of his assistant coaches to Washington practices dressed in USFL windbreakers with video cameras. And they lied to the Washington coaches and said that they were with the USFL video team and they were just taking video. And they videotaped all their practices and brought them back to the Blitz. So the Chicago Blitz knew every play the Washington Federals were going to run in their first game. Sounds and like Bill <laughs> Belichick. Yeah, very much so. It was Belichick before Belichick. And they just kicked the absolute living shit out of him. So, wow. That's funny. Jack and Dave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a question. Yeah, right. yeah. So – just looking at the teams, it's kind of an interesting mix of teams that are trying to be the spring alternative to an NFL team in a city versus like the teams that are just in a large market that doesn't have an NFL team. Was there like differing amounts of success between those two types of franchises or it didn't really correlate like that? Yeah, that's a great question. The, um, I think the team, see, I think the ideal market, you know, there are two spring leagues that are going to be starting the XFL and then the Alliance in the, in the next coming years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the U.S. of L, I think, nailed it with Jacksonville. Like, this is before the Jaguars. And it was a mid-major market with a diehard, passionate fan base, but also a really civic-minded community. So people really got behind them. Birmingham, the Stallions, Memphis, the Showboats. Those are the kind of markets that really were made for an upstart league where you kind of feel like it's us against the other, us against the country. And 
Nobody's ever given us the respect of an NFL franchise. What the hell with them? We're going to, you know, support this team. Um, you know, teams in Chicago did terribly. Washington, terribly. L.A., terribly. Uh, New York did well because Trump spent a lot of money on the team. Tampa Bay, kind of still, even though an NFL team, kind of a mid-major market, did really well. Um, so I think you, they really – it's really interesting. Before the NFL went into Nashville to Jacksonville to Carolina, I mean Charlotte, the USFL kind of mastered the mid-major market. You know, it was like, oh, that's actually a good idea to go to a place with maybe not quite the population or TV market, but a diehard uh, fan base. That's what they did. You mentioned that there were a couple, uh, like the USF or the XFL and the, the Alliance. I think there's a UFL. Was there a reason why I think no other leagues have really been able to make it using the spring model in the last 25, 30 years since the, uh, the USFL eventually folded? Yeah. I mean, number one, it's just really hard. Like the thing that goes unsaid when that question is asked, it's crazily expensive to have a football league. It just is. It's factually expensive. Insurance costs alone are preposterously high. I mean, if you think about it, the injury risk of a, of a football league is insane. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that startup fees, franchising fees, salaries, it's just really expensive. And then the NFL is a freaking monster. It is. It's just a monster. The NFL is a monster. So to go up against it and be like, we're going to draw fans from the NFL, that's it's almost impossible. And I think what these leagues now have to do is think of it more as we're not going to we're not competing with the NFL. We're we're going to go into markets. To me, they should be going into the Birmingham's, the Omaha's, you know, Boise, kind of mid major, small to mid major markets, cultivating diehard fan bases. And if your quarterback, you know, if the Indianapolis Colts call and they say we want to sign the quarterback from Boise, I think Boise needs to be like, great, that's awesome. We want that to happen. Um, and then they can say to their fan base, look. We produced this guy, and now he's playing for the Colts. So I, I just think it's a mistake to go in and, and take on, you know, take on the NFL. I feel like you can supplement the NFL. I think it's a smarter way to go. Yeah, Jeff, that's actually interesting you bring that up. I was I was just about to ask you about that. Um, in terms of like the developmental aspect, did the USFL have any? I'm sure they had some back and forth, like bringing some players, you know, signing like a free agent from the USFL if, you know, they were pretty successful in that league to the NFL. And then the NFL guys who weren't so good going to the USFL. But did they ever consider and talk, if they ever had talks with the NFL, uh, like regarding making it developmental league? I know that's something that they look at now, especially with the quarterback play, like you mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. But were there ever any like kind of ideas or was it all almost like we're going to use this, you know, we're going to have this league as entertainment and possibly competition for the NFL? All right. All right so that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, what happened is there was never there was never that thought. But behind the scenes where no one was looking, there's actually a lot of cooperation between the teams. And it wasn't supposed to be that way. They were supposed to be at war, um, blah, 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 blah. But just a really good example. There's a linebacker. He's one of the best linebackers to ever play pro football, and his name was Sam Mills. He played for the Philadelphia Stars. Then he went on and he played for the Saints and the Carolina Panthers. He's a great – he died young. Great player, though. And um, Sam Mills was cut by the Canadian Football League. Then he was cut by the Cleveland Browns. And the coach of the Browns at that time was Sam Ritigliano. And he called the Stars general manager, Philadelphia Stars general manager, this guy Carl Peterson. And he said, listen, between you and me – there's this guy you need to sign. He's like, you're going to see him and you're not going to want to sign him. He's five foot nine and he's a middle linebacker. And 
you know, Carl Peterson with the stars, like, I'm not, I'm not signing a 5'9 middle linebacker. He's like, just just watch him play. So this is an NFL team and a, and a USFL team. And it's like, all right. So they sign him, shows up, he's 5'9. The head coach is Jim Mora, who later coached, you know, the Saints mm-hmm. and the Colts. He's like, this is crazy. I'm not starting a 5'9 middle linebacker. Just watch him. The guy played Division three ball, Montclair State. At the time, he was actually a substitute photography teacher at East Orange High School in New Jersey. Well, Sam Mills shows up, he makes a team, and he goes down as probably the greatest player in USFL history. And to me, one of the greatest middle linebackers in NFL history, multi-pro bowl, pro bowl player. And that was kind of the beauty of the USFL and also the beauty of sort of the relationship that happened behind the scenes between the leagues. You said that he was a teacher at the time. Were there a lot of those guys who were working like just random day jobs who just were like, oh, yeah, sign me up for a professional football league? Or where did they – what was their talent pool like? Were they oh, going straight out of so college? Or? Yeah, no, no. So they, what they did a lot of was um, – especially the first year. Like the Chicago Blitz auditioned more than 3,000 more, more than 3, guys uh, to try out for their team. They brought in 3,000 people. They have these tryouts everywhere. Come try out for the Blitz and get a free T-shirt. And um, so you had guys from all different colleges, sizes, shapes, blah, blah, blah. So they just had this pool of an endless number of bodies. And there were a lot of guys who wound up in the league, kind of like Sam Mills, who were teaching photo or working as an auto mechanic, doctors, lawyers, um, has-been NBA NFL players. A lot of old NFL players in their late 30s, early 40s tried out for the league. Um, it was really a buffet of the – the tryouts are actually my favorite – one of my favorite chapters in the book because there was like a conga line of really weird collection of like the guy who played in high school and never made it and really knew he could. And also the guy who maybe ran for 5,000 yards with the Minnesota Vikings and he wasn't quite ready to give it up. Uh, guys who needed money, guys with one kidney, you know, blah, 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 across the board. It's the craziest conga line of aspiring professional athletes you will ever see in your life. It's probably like the uh, the collection of players from like Major League or something. That's what I'm picturing in my head oh, right yeah. now. There's a million different movies you can compare. Remember that the replacements with uh, Keanu Reeves? Oh yeah, is that what's called? The yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Terrible movie. Horrible movie. So bad. Even he hates it. Keanu Reeves is like, yeah, not a good one. But the idea behind it is very USFLE, where we're just going to bring in everybody. So. Um, you know, hey, um, don't get mad at me. I got to go because I have another interview at 8, oh, and it's like two minutes. Yeah, no, oh, no, no problems. <laughs> I'm not cheating on you guys, I swear. Yeah, no worries. We're glad to have you for uh, 35 minutes. Yeah, thank hey, you so much. We appreciate it. Jeff, it means a lot. Thanks, man. We're... All right, so that was uh, Jeff Perlman. Check out Damn. his book, Football for a Buck. The crazy rise and the crazier demise of the USFL. I just pre-ordered it. <laughs> Coming out September 11th. Available on... Pre-order it, you get a few Never other... Available on Amazon and uh, wherever you buy your books. All uh, right, so do we want to uh, do a little uh, uh, normal podcast talk? Like, do we want to go through any sheets? Maybe do a little NFL preview? There was a little bit of news over the last week. Sure, I'm done. My headphones uh, died, so I don't know if that's going to fuck up the sound or not. Yeah, you started echoing at the end of that interview. <laughs> yeah, I, started, I, started, I, started, I started muting it once I realized that. <laughs> Good call, because I, I could tell us. Yeah, I was off throwing Jeff. him off a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Jeff's the guy. Great guy. Big, 
Big day for the yeah. sheets. Big day for the sheets. Uh, but so anyways, so if we want to hop into a little NFL news, not USFL, <laughs> we had the Khalil Mack trade and the Le'Veon Bell situations going on right now. Um, Both majorly screwed me, so <laughs> sore subject. How did both major leagues screw you? Well, because my dreams of having Odell Beckham and Khalil Mack on the Browns have both died <laughs> two, uh, two classic Browns right there. <laughs> there was at least some buzz with the Khalil Mack to the Browns talk, but my boy John Dorsey couldn't couldn't punch it through, and I'm kind of glad he didn't. But I mean, would you want to give up two first-round picks and uh... – well, then okay. pay him one hundred forty something million. I mean, I guess. Well, we have the, the one. We have the, the temperature cap. of the room. What do you guys all think about the trade? Like, who who won that trade and who lost that trade, or was it win win? Or what do you guys think? I'd say win win. Yeah. Well, actually, I mean, win win for it's a win for Gruden because I think Gruden really pushed that shit. I, yeah, if I yeah. Reggie McKenzie, that dude twisted my arm. I I, I would regret not taking that Green Bay. Um, GM job immediately. Who's Reggie He's McKenzie? GM He's the GM of the Raiders. God, uh, we don't even know who we're talking about here. <laughs> I just assume Gruden's just it's basically Gruden Reggie. Yeah. Well, that's why I'm that's why I'm saying Reggie McKenzie has no. Po- Honestly, you're tr- Andy Reid. Uh, so not Andy Reid. Um, Mike Holmgren, one of Gruden's mentors, was like, "Yeah, I love Gruden, but like, you don't trade away your best player." Dude, it's weird though that like. The Raiders suck ass other than Khalil Mack, and if they're paying Khalil Mack and Derek Carr like all that money, it does seem like it'd be hard to flesh out a roster, whereas if you're adding Khalil Mack to a roster that already has some sort of depth and a rookie QB contract, then that does make sense. But still, it just seems like an insane move to like come in and – never speak to your best player on the team and then basically just trade them. Yeah, and I think to roll no, I mean, like Personally, that, I think it was a total ego. Oh, goal. definitely. I think it was a little game of chicken between them and Gruden says, I can't lose this as I just get this job. We have to trade him basically. But, I mean, for them, they'd have thrown a second-round pick to get this deal done. That seems insane to me. You're trading away a top-five defender, maybe top-five guy in the league overall, and you, you're pitch, you have to pitch in a second-round pick just to get the deal done. Dude, that's why it's a great move for the Bears. I mean, he looks freaking good in a Bears jersey, oh, new too. Mo- new monster of the Midway. <laughs> oh, my god! I mean, gosh. their defense is going to be really, really good this year. Yeah. No, and guys I think that that name, how do you pronounce it? Nagy? Nagy? Nagy, I think, right? Yeah. I think, Dude, I think, I think, I think Mitchell kissing titties Trubisky is going to be pretty decent. I'm, I'm still fan. not sold on Trubisky just oh, yet. I mean, the fact he's only started like what yeah. 15, 20 games his whole like college and pro career. I'm still not. Yeah, I like Nagy all right. Be like I'm just a big Andy Reid disciple like kind of guy. Like I feel like the Chiefs just run a well-oiled machine. Like Doug Peterson came out of the Andy Reid coaching tree and won a title in his second year. Uh so I'm pretty optimistic about that. I mean, he made Alex Smith like a very serviceable quarterback for a while. Um, but still, I don't know. Trubisky just – I thought that was like a shit draft pick at the time and like a really bad trade. But we'll Let's see. Let's see if he makes that jump. But I mean, they've I mean, got I, good running backs. They brought yeah, in Allen solid. So Cohen's a weapon. Johnny Trevathan. Like they've got, they've got players around him. Um, so we'll see. 
but unfortunately you're still good. I mean, I think the Packers are Packers and Vikings are yeah, they're in a hard division. head and shoulders above the bears right now. I could see the bears being competitive, but that division's pretty much between those two. Just the NFC in general. Like I still feel like there's no way the bears make the playoffs. Oh, no way. Not yeah, this zero chance. I would year. put it less than 1%. Yeah, not this year. I think the Vikings are going to run away with the division, honestly. Really? Yeah, I never want to count I, out Aaron Rodgers. You're not. Yeah, you're I don't not want to count out Aaron Rodgers, but the Green Bay Green Bay's roster is not that. I agree good. with that. I'm much, I'm really high on yeah. Minnesota this year. My uh my pick to come out of the yeah, NFC. Where Minnesota is very well balanced. I think. Should the Packers have traded for uh for Khalil? That doesn't seem like a Packers mm-hmm. move. Given that they're trying, they have a sm- very small finite window, whatever three three four years of peak Rodgers. Happy Rodgers, you just got paid. Yeah, I was a little surprised at that move, honestly, considering they had what two more years of team control plus potentially two more franchise tag seasons if they wanted to go that route. Connor, you're very close up on your mic right now. Just so you know, fair enough. Yeah, I can feel you spit. <laughs> yeah, man. Sammy Sprinkler over there. I'm, I'm pulling the Durant. I'm on my, my, my interview back. chair. I got the uh, mic right next to you. you got the wine. <laughs> a little sheesh. Sheesh. You got caught off blog boys. <laughs> man, we're just picking from different pods right now. Just one. Uh, yeah. No, but I'm uh, honestly, I think overall the Bears are definitely the winners of that trade. I mean, given the the position the Raiders kind of dug themselves into, I mean, getting two first, uh, getting two first is great, but giving a second, I, I, I don't really understand. But The Raiders just have to have a few good drafts now. John Gruden has to draft well, and if the team's good in three seasons, once they have their all their picks on their roster and their cost-controlled contracts, then we can decide, all right, this is a well-executed plan. But right. until that happens, if you like the Raiders are always just going to be looked at like, oh, they fucking traded Khalil Mack for a couple picks. You Dude, know? you know Gruden's going to get some defensive tackle in the first round and another first round like fullback tight end who can <laughs> catch the ball on a spider yeah, exactly. two by banana. Yeah. He, he's the Raiders wheel route so on the spider two by banana. That's who he wants to draft. Like Kyle Jaziski from the Niners. That's his quintessential draft. Yeah, pick I'm right. not confident in Gruden's ability yeah, to win. Zero chance. Uh, the Raiders being good for a couple of years and being shitty again, I feel like all is right. In not the- even a couple of years, just one season, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, one season. Yeah, I guess really it was it. just one season. <laughs> and then Carr got hurt and it all just went to shit. I think, I personally think it's going to be just a train wreck. This ten-year contract of move to Vegas, or I think the whole thing is going to be a disaster. Do you see oh, that the city of Oakland is suing them for five hundred million dollars? <laughs> is that right? I love it. Yeah. What a surprise! The Davis family in a lawsuit over something. <laughs> Oakland just getting continually cucked. Yeah. So uh, the other news. Over the last uh, day or so, is Le'Veon Bell still not reporting to camp? This is especially troublesome for Alex because he drafted Le'Veon Bell in our fantasy league and my other league. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, Le'Veon I have too. I have James Conner in my other league. This one I don't. Connor, you not should tell Bob. the story about how you told your friend not to draft <laughs> Zeke. 
could draft Le'Veon Bell, and then you drafted Zeke. <laughs> so I had my, uh, my work draft league uh, last night. I'm reigning champ, so my, my opinion holds a lot of sway in these parts. We're getting ready for the draft about 45 minutes before uh, first pick. My buddy, he's got the first pick. He says, I'm, I'm leaning towards Zeke. I tell him, oh, no, no, no. You got to either go Gurley or Bell. Th- those are the two top two guys. By the way, can I, can I hop you know. in here? I fucking hate when people in the same league ask other people in their league for their thoughts on certain scenarios. Like, fuck you, we're competing. <laughs> but anyways, weak, obviously it's a weak-ass league if Connor is the reigning champion. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Connor is you. statistically the worst member of our fantasy league, 12-man league. It's been going on for this is the tenth year, and Connor is statistically the worst manager in the history of this. Hey, league. tell that to the thousand dollar check from last season. But hey, those are you're playing with a bunch of bumbling. Regardless, here. so of, my buddy comes up, says, "I'm thinking, I'm thinking Zeke." I tell him it's got to be Bell or Gurley. And to be honest with you, I'd go Gurley, but if you want to go Bell, I don't see a way in hell that he doesn't report. I tell him Marquis Pouncey, captain of the team, said I got a hunch he's going to be here tomorrow. I took that word as a. Uh, as, as Oak. I said, you can't go wrong with Bell. I bet you he's there tomorrow. Just as good of Oak as Darius Geis' <laughs> agent. That Josh Allen has been drafted number one overall. So we, we walk into the draft about 45 minutes later and uh, grabs the grabs the nameplate. Lo and behold, Le'Veon Bell. Myself, sitting sit in the catbird. I'm in the fourth pick. Who do I end up with? Zeke Elliott. And not a mere uh, 24 hours later, the tweets start flowing in that uh, that Le'Veon might not be playing until week ten, and uh, I could be going to fancy hell for that uh, that little little finger move <laughs> on that play. But all's well that ends well, huh? Hey, can we talk about the Steelers' O lineman just absolutely destroying Le'Veon Bell? I've never seen anything like this. Yeah, I think that's weird as fuck. Like, Dude. I feel like those guys should just realize, like, all right, Le'Veon, you got to do what's best for your career. Get your money. Like, secure a long-term contract. So Don't much different than the NBA. Like yeah. This just personifies like how different. It's a, it's a different, like, mindset, te- mentality. It's such, like, a team game, and you go to war with each other and all that bullshit. <laughs> and the Steelers are definitely the Dude. classic, uh, the name on the front of the jersey means a hell of a lot more than the one on the back kind of team. Oh, for sure. Dude, Ramon Foster literally said, here's a guy who doesn't give a damn, so we'll treat it as such. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they got Charlie Villanueva who fucking – No, not Charlie. <laughs> Char- Alex. Or Alex. <laughs> yeah, Charlie, Antonio whatever. Villanueva, is that right? Antonio Villagarosa? I mean, he's that, he's that no, mother Villanueva. of <laughs> Respect it's the troops, so- <laughs> Connor. Respect the troops. <laughs> I mean, this is the kind of guy who, like, <laughs> is the only dude on the whole team who, like, didn't go in the locker room during the anthem last year and, like, came out to, like, show his respect. He apologized for it. This guy's And he's a man. That's, that's, that's just kind of a tool this move, motherfucker's in those, uh, what's that, credit union? Navy credit union? He's, in, he's a <laughs> motherfucker <laughs> in those commercials. <laughs> oh, come on. He's a vet. Let's 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 lay off. <laughs> for sure. What, dude? Like, dude, but R- Ramon Foster, when I say that Villanueva has seen people die and has come and given it all to his team. That That's a wild statement. Melodrama- that just seems super melodramatic. <laughs> yeah, like, like, comparing like, football okay. to war. Dude, it's not like Le'Veon <laughs> doesn't give a shit about these old linemen. Like, he's buying yeah. watches. Apparently and- not enough. <laughs> yeah, the what world about- is not enough. 
I think Ramon Foster came out and was like, I'm getting paid one-seventh of what Le'Veon Bell plays, and I'm here like for it. It's like, well, dude, you're worth like fucking <laughs> way less than one-seventh of Le'Veon Bell. Hey, Ramon, Ramon Foster, I'm um, speaking on behalf of Le'Veon Bell, but you're, you're a snowflake, so oh. suck it up. Uh, one one take I've heard that why this is kind of different than your traditional holdout is, for example, compares to Khalil Mack and Aaron Donald, those those are guys that are trying to get new contracts, so they're holding out for more money. Whereas Le'Veon is dude, Aaron Donald held out last year while he was under contract. And he, he also played the whole season, whereas it appears Bell won't. Uh... He missed the first game. Hmm. All right. Well, yeah. So, I, mean, I mean, Bell, Bell played plays the, first the second. Last year. Yeah, Bell plays the next, the second week. Then that's the exact same as Aaron Donaldson. All right, we'll see if he's playing week two. But from the sound of it, it could be a it could be as long as week ten on this holdout. Actually, no, because isn't Bell a free agent at the end of this year? Yeah, but he has to play. I think the last six. Like Aaron Donald had another year even on his deal. He has to, yeah, he has to, Bell has to play. I think he has to be on the active roster the last six games to, for it to count as a year towards free agency. Okay, got it. So that's why he has to come back week ten. Yeah. So if not, he'll just be like he'll. I guess he'll do the same thing over next year. I don't. No, I don't really no, know gonna, how this is going to end. If he's, do you think if he holds out for ten weeks that he just shows up and they actually play him, or do you think they're just like, hey, like yeah, you're reporting and you'll get paid, but like get the fuck out of here. We're trying to win a Super well, Bowl. No, I mean I think they'll trade him. I think they'll trade him before. Can they trade him before that? If like halfway through they're like, fuck sure. it, we're going to lose him anyway. Probably. You think what do you think they trade him for though at that point? If he's only got like a few games left on his contract, and you obviously you're gonna have to pay this guy a shit ton to well, treat it like an, you treat it like an MLB like deadline trade and say we know we're just getting him for the tail end and maybe the playoffs, and then we're not gonna resign him. No, no, but but listen, so yeah, I get what Aaron's saying. Like the Steelers won't have any leverage really to really get anything yeah. back. But if they know if they like if they know they're not gonna pay him. And they know he's not going to, re- or they have a hunch he's not going to report till week ten, just so he can get to free agency. Why don't you trade him now? Yeah, I mean, yeah. honestly, I mean, I still do. You think they'd be able to get like, I mean, the Earl Thomas situation is like a s- similar situation. Yeah, but I saw is way better than Earl Thomas. That dude, Earl Thomas is fucking good, man. Okay, but he's not like Le'Veon changes the whole complexion of an offense. I'd say I'd argue Earl Thomas changes dude, the complexion Earl of Thomas, a defense. Yeah, they turned down a second and, round pick for him. Do you think? And Earl Thomas plays a less expendable position than running back. I think. Like, look okay, at those Le'Veon Steelers just doesn't great, play running back. Dude, the Steelers have had great success without Le'Veon Bell playing in games. Though they average more points when Le'Veon Bell doesn't play than when he does play. Like, there is an argument out there that they'll be fine, and they're all very excited for uh james connor so i mean even if they weren't super excited they'd be saying they're excited about it anyway trying to send a message i, I mean i'm just not sure you all can even get us saying it it's, what do you get for Le'Veon bell right now a second round pick a first oh, round pick what if, what if he comes back week 10 and you're in a playoff run you've got a limited window anyways do you think he's just gonna like Stand on the sidelines and or not he play. Could, he, dude, he, he could just play. suck. No. He could like say, like, you could put me out there, and I'm not going to do shit. Then you I just hand him the ball, and he gets crushed. <laughs> yeah, okay, but then you're going to lose. Why would you play him? I don't think Le'Veon Bell would like if he gets put in the game. Is just going to fucking take hits for <laughs> losses, dude. No, I that's think no, no, I think not good practice, for his contract negotiation. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying he's going to essentially be like. Like I'm gonna be activated. Like if you guys want to put me out there, nothing's gonna happen. So don't even waste your time. 
I don't. I feel like he wouldn't do that. Well, I mean, we're speaking. I feel, like, like, right I feel now, like if he's on the field, he'll play. I right think now that's we're different worst than to be. Scenarios. I think. Do you think, I think. Do you think like Mike Tomlin and them will want him in there, even though like the locker room clearly fucking does not like this guy, and if he holds out for ten more I weeks, mean, they probably won't like him. I wonder how much the locker room truly doesn't like him. He's a star. Like he's a star, and he helps your team win. And you have a limited window right now with Big Ben getting older and stuff like that. This could be one of your last shots. Yeah, they're not going to let pride get in the way. They'll fucking play his ass, I think. And Le'Veon Bell is a superstar well. in that offense. Like, yeah, they'd but be Connor's okay with you. Even if he's a good rusher, he's not going to do the same things Le'Veon Bell does. Right, exactly. Yeah, I'm not Le'Veon Bell is essentially Le'Veon. a wide receiver running back wrapped into one. You could put him in the slot. You could put him out wide. There's yeah, so the many best, things like, you could do with Le'Veon Bell. Running back. He's a complete running back, and I don't think Connor's going to be that. I think he's better than Todd Gurley. I think he deserves more than Todd Gurley, too. But if Le'Veon – well, Le'Veon Bell's older than Todd Gurley. So that's like a big difference, especially when you're talking about a running back. But if like James – yeah, James Connor's like 70% of Le'Veon Bell and gets paid way less than 70% of Le'Veon Bell, then – like, what's the difference? I don't even think he's 50% of Le'Veon, to be honest. I mean, we'll see. Maybe he doesn't have Le'Veon Bell's skill, but if he has 70% of the production, which I know, doubt historically, that. like, D'Angelo Williams was fucking 70% of Le'Veon Bell's production for sure. And D'Angelo Williams was shit all over the place other than that stint backing up Le'Veon Bell. So... I mean, that's hard to say for running backs, though. It, running backs are just going to get some stats. It's like that 30% that makes Le'Veon Bell a game changer. Also, yeah, Le- I mean, Le'Veon makes things happen for other players. You put too. any running back behind no line, like they're going to get a certain amount of yards. Yeah, know? that's my fucking point exactly. No, but he's like, he's. it's not just what he does like with the ball. Him as an offensive threat, one of the best in the game, opens up fucking everything for other offensive players in that like in then that why offense. has their offense never struggled without him? I don't, I don't, I don't think, think they, their record is 11 and 9 since 2013 playing without Bell so they're basically a 500 team where he doesn't play I, de- I definitely think he makes a difference on that team you can't say you can just plug and play and he's like scrub running back off the street and it makes definitely. no difference then it's ignorant I'm not, Aaron. ignorant you're big Connor, dumb idiot just scrub off the street though James Conner, dude, he had fucking cancer. He's not like he is a straight line. <laughs> he is a straight line runner, dude. He is like he's like it, he'll run behind the offensive line. And he'll run hard, and maybe he can block too. But dude, he is don't don't tell me that he is even. What if his cancer comes back, Aaron? <laughs> he's not even fifty percent of the player Le'Veon Bell is. I'd go even lower than that. I mean, let. Le'Veon is the best or second best running back, like almost undisputed in the league. Like you can't just say any running back, even if he is as good as James Conner, can be that good. I don't. Dude, think. I what just, he does, I just think the value of running backs is just so low. He's where, not like, just a running back, though. He is like he's one of the best receivers. He's like, a fucking offensive fireball. Whatever. I don't. A whirling dervish of offense, dude. Okay. He makes that team better. That's a that is a fact. Yeah, of course he makes the team better. Okay, so you're saying like, James Conner? You put you you bench Le'Veon the whole year. Throw James Conner there. Give him the same amount of carries. He's not getting the same amount of touches because he can't catch the ball. 
Okay, but if the other guy who gets also those touches Who's the is, other guy? Uh, it's Steven Ridley and... No, even, no. Um, it's a rookie. I yeah, he's a, he's a fullback tight end. You can actually put him in either slot. I looked it up today. <laughs> okay, sounds like he could receive also then. He's a fullback tight end who's like third on the depth chart. <laughs> that does not sound like a receipt. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying like... You got to play him if you're going into the playoffs. If Le'Veon doesn't play all year, the Steelers team is probably going 8-8. Eight and eight. What? Yeah. No way. No, I don't think so. No uh, way. I could see that. That that would be in line with the record of eleven and ten since they uh in games without Bell. I bet you they lose game one to Cleveland if Le'Veon doesn't play. Oh hell fucking no, dude. No. I'll, I'll bet ten Fuck bucks. No. I'll bet you I'll ten, bet ten you bucks. Ten I will bet you ten I want bucks the spread, right now. Though. What's the spread? That's just a normal bet. <laughs> I'm gonna keep my you bet can't in Vegas. Be talking all that shit and then bring up the spread. I'm gonna keep keep my bet in Vegas. I have plus six. <laughs> I will bet. Ten seconds later, I'm gonna keep my bet in Vegas. <laughs> I don't know. You're I'm definitely just wrong, Aaron. I will call it out. You are definitely wrong. I don't. I don't think so. You are. Man. You are. Like time and time again, like just like running backs are not super valuable. I don't think. Okay. In I think there's a different tier of running backs that are extremely valuable. I would agree with that. I think I think Aaron undervalues running backs for sure. Much like the, much like centers. Like yeah, there are some offenses like you where you can plug and play where it's really not the focal point. Like Seattle, you could go plug and play anyone; it'll work. Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, whoever. But there are certain offenses and certain tiers of running backs where together it's like that makes their offense go. The, dude, like Pittsburgh's Zeke makes offense the Dallas has been offense exactly go, dude. the same without Le'Veon Bell, though. No, it, like they score more points in a decent amount of sample size in games where Le'Veon Bell doesn't play. Like, yeah, maybe they lose those games, but if their offense is producing the same amount of points every single game, I don't get how you can sit here and say, oh, yeah, well, they're clearly dude, worse I think, Honestly, him. I think having a running back like that and the way, like, the way you're feeding the ball, both rushing and passing the ball – I think that affects your defense too. You're grinding out more time. You're keeping your defense on the, off the field. I think that has a real effect on the defense too. So, so even though they're putting up more points, like they're throwing at Juju and Antonio Brown, whoever the fuck their tight end is, they, I mean, they're probably not on the field as long as they would be by giving Le'Veon the Bell, Le'Veon Bell the ball over and over and over again. So I think maybe that's why there's a discrepancy in those numbers. That I, I don't have the actual numbers, but that's kind of just – playing the game and kind of just from the eye test, I feel like that could be the case. Here's a little stat to back that, uh, back that theory up. The team has become a winning formula when Bell is the bell cow, no pun intended, back to a frightening extent. Suck Steelers it. record when, when, ball, when Bell carries the ball at least 20 times, 24 and 3. Steelers record when Bell carries the ball fewer than 20 times, 10 and 16. Dude, that's a fucking stupid ass oh stat because God. obviously games that because games that they're winning, that's not that's not that's not they're just ahead and they're trying to grind it. Like, dude, that is exactly how that stat like fucking works. Exactly. Every single running back in games where they get a lot of touches, they're going to be more likely to win because when they're already winning by a lot, they run the ball more. That's just See, how I like that to hear that works. stat for like overall touches because. Because he's still going to get touches even if they're down in the pass game. But carries doesn't mean that Right, much. especially a player like Le'Veon who's catching the ball. 
playing wide receiver at times too. Yeah, I'd like to see that stat with catches included. We'll get back also. to you guys with that one. But I'm fucking fired up now. <laughs> Aaron, you are you are wrong. 16 games worth of data without Le'Veon Bell. They've averaged 26.63 points without him and 25.19 with him. So in a full season, it's worth of games. They have a better offense without no, him. They, have, they score more points. I'm not points. saying – That doesn't necessarily make it a better offense. What what other fucking way do you define offense by scoring points? The theory I just brought up: when you're feeding them, you're churn, you're taking more time off the clock. You're a more efficient offense. You're keeping your defense more well-rounded field. offense. All right, fine. I'm not going to argue that. Like you're you're under Bell is the not better Leon. than that's what you're doing. I don't you know. You are. I think you. I think you guys are overvaluing Le'Veon and just it all and by. Osmosis, all running backs. Uh, that's so stupid, but all right. I don't think it's so stupid, Pretty dude. Stupid. So what is the point of having a good running back, then, if you you think you can just bring in an average running back and he'd be as I good? I don't think there's a good point in bringing in a big-time running back. Like, I'm a big Rams fan. I love Todd Gurley. He's really good, but I don't like the Gurley contract, really. Gurley's like a focal point of their offense, though. It's definitely not Robert Woods. It's definitely not Brandon Cooks. It's not whoever the hell their tight end is. It's Todd Gurley. I agree, but you, here. but there is the potential, potential that by saddling by saddling up all of that money with Todd Gurley, when you could improve other parts of the offense and you could bring in a backup who in that system could do. 70% of what Todd Gurley does. That's the thing. You have to scout and you actually have they, to find someone, which is not easy. You're not just picking someone off the street. It's not that hard. Why do you think like great teams like the Patriots always and like the Eagles last year, teams that are like really big on analytics don't give a fuck about running backs. They just running back by committee every single year. <laughs> like, like seriously, who was the last great team that was like – the focal point of their offense was a running back. That I mean, that is a good point. But in, in with the, you have it's not like you can just like the Eagles and the Patriots had like the perfect formula when it came to their running backs. Like they all did something special yeah, by having a bunch of random ass. But a lot of teams men. just can't do that. Why not? They have it. because they overpay running backs. Marshawn Lynch was probably the last one in 2014 on the Seahawks. I'd agree yeah, with that. That sounds about right. I mean, I could I could see why you don't like the contract. I think I think that you're undervaluing the running back, but maybe the spending the money on a running back. I could kind of see that argument. Right, and I get that with the shelf. And I think life, there's, there's yeah. multiple factors because you got shelf life and all that going in. I get it. that as well. I think that team is not better without Le'Veon. I don't think they're better with James Conner running the running the ball. Obviously, they're not better without Le'Veon Bell. But I'm just saying, I'm not. I don't think it's like a huge loss. I think it's a pretty substantial loss. I think, I think definitely think it's a big loss. If you're going from a, the second best running back in the league to a replacement level player, you can't tell me there's going to be no effect on the team. Okay, I'm not going to say there's no effect, but I don't think it's a substantial effect. To be honest, I think we'll, we'll have to agree to disagree. I think there's I a lot less they can do in that in that offense without Le'Veon, especially with everything he does—catching the ball, running the ball. He's a wide receiver. 
Oh, it definitely limits your offense, I think. I think that's for sure. Sure, but then you still have Juju Smith-Schuster, Antonio Brown, who are super dynamic players that you can just lean more heavily on them, and it's not like giving Antonio Brown more looks is a bad thing. No, but that op- it opens play. up. I mean, the I mean, more, if they the can more run options the ball you have on that offense, the more dangerous it is. I mean, that's just a, it's a number. It's a numbers game. But if you can still run the ball effectively, then that should open up Antonio Brown and Juju exactly. enough. I know, and I think they will be able to run the ball somewhat effectively. Anyways, at least they have historically without Le'Veon Bell. Uh, we'll see. Week one coming up in Cleveland. And you could you could argue that all these offensive linemen who, like, what's, what was the guy's name earlier? I'm all fired up and forgot his uh, name. Antonio Villagarosa no, or some shit. Villanueva. Respect <laughs> the troops, Connor. No, the, no, the other <laughs> guy. Ramon Foster. Ramon Foster, that was it. <laughs> He was out there saying like, "Hey, we're the, we're the reason that this guy's even good." Blah blah blah. Like, I bet you the line's gonna be fired up to prove that James Connors every bit as good as Le'Veon Bell. They they'll probably uh, have their asses on fire come Sunday, but we'll see. An ass on fire doesn't make up for dynamic talent or lack thereof. You might make up seventy percent of it, though. We'll see. Seventy percent—that's the number is. of Sunday. Seventy percent. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. All right, anything else we need to talk about? I feel like we've uh, thoroughly discussed discussed that running backs in the NFL. We could do a little meme stock market with the uh, uh, the Kaepernick meme. The, the Kaepernick meme. Yeah, we could do that. You guys have some good ones, so yeah. So the I mean, the meme is pretty powerful in itself. The meme or like it's a very powerful meme. <laughs> it's too powerful. No, it's um yeah, how long until memes become like a form of art? Uh, it's already a or is it a form of art already? I bet you it is. You go somewhere in fucking France or Amsterdam, I bet you they got No, they're definitely elitist about their art out there. Dude. I don't know. It'd be it in America. Weird art, dude. Would be more It'd be like, like It'd be like uh, American Modern Art Museum or some shit. San Francisco or some shit. Actually, no. Where would that be? I feel like all these like super trendy places are like also hoity-toity and snobby about shit like art. Hoity-toity. Maybe I, maybe New I, like Brooklyn. Yeah, I was gonna say like New York. Oh, like, I see it. It's just you have everything in New York. <laughs> Brooklyn knows three things: barbecue, bourbon, and meme art. <laughs> All right, so the template, I mean, the Kaepernick template, the Nike ad is is pretty powerful, and people have been taking the quote. Does anyone have the quote off the top of their head? Uh, it's, it's like if, if like you believe in something, believe everything. in something, even if it, even if you have to sacrifice everything or some some it's shit. It's, like, it's a pretty hardcore. Ad, yeah, it's definitely hardcore, and it's like a super close up of Colin Kaepernick. Definitely hardcore. Yeah. And so people have been photoshopping it with just ridiculous shit. Um, I saw a um, what's his name, Jay Cutler, Nike ad <laughs> where he's in a Bears uniform smoking a cigarette. <laughs> um, are you gonna say what? Yeah, the board's I just have my phone. My hand, dude, my hands are sweaty. It's just a, he got fired up about that Le'Veon Bell debate. I know, shit. 
All right, well, while you're stalling, so I got one of uh, Future. Future looking cool as fuck, wearing some sort of hat, sunglasses, and says, where I come from, you know trapping is a sport. <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> All right, I found the one. So Jake, Jake Cutler smoking a cigarette and says, don't care. Even if it means not caring about anything, Nike swoosh, just do it or don't. I don't care. <laughs> My favorite one was 50 Cent put this out and it was Floyd Mayweather. And it just, instead of words, it just had like gibberish typed into a keyboard. <laughs> That's great. For those who don't know, 50 Cent and Floyd Mayweather have a beef that <laughs> – at one point culminated in 50 cent accusing Floyd Mayweather of not knowing how to read. And he would, <laughs> he would give Floyd like 50 grand or something like that. If he like recorded a video of him reading the first page of Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nike or NBA Twitter is going to love this one. It's Russell Westbrook in the background. And it says, believe in stat padding, even if it means sacrificing wins, just stat pad. Oh, I saw one that was a similar thing. It was like him taking a rebound from uh, Steven Adams and it was like, believe in something, even if it means your teammates sacrificing or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we got anything else or should we? Yeah, I have one more thing. Apparently, Shohei Otani, who pitched the other day for the Angels, apparently it just came out that he has more damage in his UCL and – Tommy John is recommended. But then tonight he went four for four with two homers and three RBIs. Yeah. Oh, apparently they announced Lighten he like, is going to do Tommy John surgery. And then he yeah, went and batted? He has to at this point. He's, yeah, he can keep batting. Oh, that's like, nice. It's not bad. And like they, there's no rush. He's still going to miss the next season regardless. So they're just kind of like letting him hit for a while. See, that's they, they I feel like even though decision. you're going to miss next season regardless, like I feel like you should just get it done now and you know hope that actually what's the, you what's know, the difference? Few, yeah, what's why would you what's say the difference? that? Tommy John has like a really set schedule. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, why would you want him to just miss games just cause... Well, I mean the Angels are out. Exactly. Yeah, but like then what what's the point of having him still play? Just get it get it over with. I mean like he gets to like because he gets his at bat. Well, I mean isn't happy, if Tommy John is on a set schedule, wouldn't like a few like what the it's it's September now, so there's a two two months of the season left? Or a month and a half of the season. So what, you're a month and a half in front of schedule. I mean, like he'll just be a month and a half in the off season where he's probably not gonna be that doing that much like throwing anyways. All right. All right. At either time, he's going to be ready for like full. Yeah, full I feel like you'd want him training in twenty twenty. Yeah, I feel like you want to maximize his games played. Right, you know. Hmm. And just like he, he sells. Yeah, tickets. I mean, he's killing it. Four for four with two home runs. Is he killing it? I think, think that. Yeah, he's, I think he just tied. I think if he had two, he tied for the most uh, home runs by a Japanese rookie ever. <laughs> Who's hitting really well? Record Hideki Matsui. No, he t- Hideki Matsu was second. He's like, who would it uh, be? Not Ichiro's not really I mean, a home, home run hitter. Oh no, yeah, Hideki Matsu had sixteen, and he tied that yesterday, I think, or two days ago. I mean, he's hitting really good against righties. He can't hit for shit against lefties, but also got one bat more switch, right? I- Bats lefty, yeah. One more thing before we hop off. Did anyone watch the full Hard Knocks season? 
I did not watch the last episode. I was going to do that right now. All right, we'll talk about it later then. All right, cool. (laughs) Uh, Spoiler alert, Kajus gets cut. Yeah, I saw uh, uh, like Infinity War, like him disappearing. (laughs) Mr. Haslam (laughs) feels so good. Yeah, anyone like got that. any locks this weekend? Ooh, uh, Ohio State. Whatever the spread is, lock it in. I think maybe the Titans minus one and a half against the Dolphins. I think I was liking that one. Browns are up to three and a half, so I would stay away if you had Browns plus six. Commend you. Actually, just take the Browns money line. Oh, f- the lock. <laughs> Do not do that. That's not a lock. Hard pass. <laughs> you wouldn't take the money. All right, all right. I'll bet each of you ten dollars. All right. Money line. All right. Yeah. Bring it on. All right. Yep. I'm in. I'm in. Book no, it. cheese. You're out. You're a Browns <laughs> fan. You can't. You can't bet on. I thought Connor sounded like he was thinking about it there for a sec. No, <laughs> no I, I just got fooled on Twitter. I saw there's a tweet that. Yeah, I got duped. The You're Falcons have placed Julio Jones on injured reserve. <laughs> Brian Rubisky was signed. And it was a tweet from 2013. <laughs> Someone did that before up. the Eagles game in the playoffs last year with Julio Jones. It was PFT. Oh, man. Yeah, it was yeah, like – Yeah, it was PFT. He got it me. It was like Julio Jones ruled out for game against the Philadelphia Eagles or some shit. And I was like, oh, fuck. All right, boys. I'm, I'm <laughs> golfing at 6 a.m. tomorrow, so I'm going to call it a night. All right. Good night, Sloth. Good night, fellas. Good night. Good night, everyone. <laughs> All right. Good night. Good night to the nation. Good night. Thanks again to Jeff Perlman. Good night, Jeff. Yeah. My sweet prince. Football for a buck. Check it out. <laughs>